Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, so, so, as we said, my name is Dan, and I'm one of the uh, leaders here at Billingshurst Family Church. Um, and this morning, we're going to be looking at um, the kind of last part of the mini-series on Gideon. Um, And I don't know about you, but um, things have a tendency um, to get off on a good footing, um, but not end quite so well. You might think of a team who plays well in the first half of the uh, season and then falls away in the second. Or perhaps your favourite TV show or film series um, has a less than satisfying ending. Um, Or a victory can be misused, like the person who wins a board game and then crows about their victory. Um, Not something I would recognise, of course. Um, And I remember one of the first times I properly went running and I stormed up Bigner Hill, which is a big local hill. Um, And I started so well, but found that my fitness and stamina were severely lacking um, as I first stopped and then walked up the rest of the hill. Um, and found everyone else having, uh, sat and having a lovely chat as if they just strolled um, along a path um, and were barely out of breath. Um, and so there's lots of reasons that things don't always end so well. So whether that's um, not sticking to the original plan um, or having no plan or p- preparation or people being people and just making mistakes. Um, so over the past few weeks, um, Nick and my dad has taken us through Gideon's life. Um, He has gone from this timid, scared man, um, questionably threshing um, wheat in a wine press, um, to defeating the Midianites with a tiny army. The story goes from a real low to an absolute high. Um, And if this was a fairy story or a Disney film, this would be where we would end. Um, But unfortunately, I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not what's going to happen. Um, Things go wrong, and then they go a little bit worse. Um, So we're looking at this morning at the last part of Gideon's life. Um, So we're post the pinnacle of defeating the Midianites. Um, And so at first I'm going to pray and I'm going to read from Judges 8, 22 to 35, which should hopefully come up on the screen. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for your word um, and what it's got to teach us and how we can learn more about you, Lord. Amen. So from 8.22 to 35, let me just grab my glasses. Um, The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's neck. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again during Gideon's lifetime. The land had peace for 40 years. Jeroboam, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. 
His concubine, who lived in, in Sheshem, also bore him a son, who he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abirizites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berith as their god and did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued from the hands of their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, in spite of all of the good things he had done for them. So we see that Gideon's legacy does not last long beyond his lifetime. The spoils of his victory have become a snare to him and the people of Israel. Um, He decides to make a jeweled ephod, which is the ceremonial dress of the priests, um, as commanded by God to Moses. Um, which becomes this place of worship. But he does reject the call to become king over them, remembering that it's God who is their king and ruler. But he has many sons in his retirement, 70 with his wives, and one named Abimelech with a concubine. And then in chapter 9, we see that Abimelech does himself become king um, and brings much misery to the people of Israel. Gideon reaps what he sows, and the produce of his sins destroys his his legacy. Um, Because although he refused to be king, he calls this this son of a concubine Abimelech, which means son of a king, or the king is my father. And Abimelech takes no time after the death of Gideon to kill all but one of Gideon's 70 other children and makes himself king, twisting his, his, his mother's people the leaders of Shechem, and their fear of a dynastic struggle. And he uses this to his advantage um, to kill all of his father's other sons, apart from one. And his remaining son prophesies that Abimelech and the people who've made him king will devour each other, and he proves correct. The, the leaders of Shechem plot to ambush plot to ambush Abimelech and his followers, but he learns of the, amb- of the ambush and defeats them, and then kills these leaders who were hiding in the tower by burning it down with them inside. He then goes to a different city, in, and in Judges 9, 52 to 57, we see how God delivers his judgment on Abimelech. So from verse 52, Abimelech went into the tower and attacked it, but as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head, and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through, and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Sashem pay for all of their, their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. How Gideon finished his life and the mistakes he made has serious uh, repercussion. He goes from this place of being a hero and winning a battle, glorifying God, uh, being in God's will, to, this, to his offspring bringing death and destruction. We see that not glorifying God and sinning by not living the way that God has set out for us, has real consequences. And what's interesting, and we'll come back to this, is that Gideon might not even known he was sinning in the first place. So Gideon's story is so separate from us that it can be hard to think how it relates. But thinking back to the first passage that I read, 
Um, we see someone who has a great victory and stands at the pinnacle. Someone who's used by God for one of the greatest military victories we see in the Bible, but who sadly loses their way. So we're going to take a closer look at three things Gideon does in this final chapter of his life that we can do similar and can end up trapping us in the same way. So the first of these things is that the spoils of victory can trap us. So the first thing that we see in this story is that following the victory over the Midianites, Gideon is the man in Israel. The scale of his victory is total, and he's definitely the most popular man around. So much so that the Israelites, understandably, say to him, please be our king. Why would you not want him to, to be your ruler? But in this, you start to see the problem that's at the heart of the people. They've missed or forgotten that it was not Gideon who defeated the army. It was God who used Gideon to defeat the Midianites. And we're going to look a little bit closer at this kind of misallocation of worship um, later on. Um, but going back to our story, and the, and the honour of being their king has been refused. Um, and he says the right thing, the Lord will rule over you. Um, but he doesn't finish there. He says, can I just ask one thing, um, a small favour? Because um, the army has taken the jewellery and the wealth of the people they've defeated, Gideon asked to have all of, the, um, all of their earrings. And of course they say, yes, no, no problem. Um, and they eventually give him almost 19 kilograms of gold, which would today be worth around £700,000. Um, and then taking some of the other spoils from the kings of, of Midian, he makes, an, he makes an ephod. And the Bible scholars amongst us may remember that an ephod is kind of like a jeweled tabard-looking thing um, that priests wore in the temple. And Gideon makes a special one of these with all of these jewels and gold and puts it in his hometown of Ophrah. But unfortunately, this effort, instead of honouring God, leads the people away from God. And the author of Judges calls it a snare. And we as followers of Jesus also have, have a victory and have to live our lives on the back of a victory. But ours is not a military one or even one that we have anything to do with. The victory we have is the one that has been won by Jesus. This ultimate victory is, is the one that Jesus has won on the cross. And by his blood, we become part of that. Jesus, by his sinless, perfect life, made a way for us to have our sins removed and no longer counted against us. Jesus is holy and puts that righteousness on us as his co-heirs and sons and daughters and made us victors over death as well. The title of this series is Mercy Over Judgment or Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. Um, and Jesus, by his mercy for us, we escape the judgment that our sin deserves. And we stand as people who have had this great victory because Jesus has triumphed over death. And by his unbelievable love for his people, um, we become inheritors of that victory. So we go from this place of darkness and sin to being victors, um, co-heirs of Jesus, who is God. Um, adopted into his family once and for all. We are now part of this kingdom of God, of light, and able to defeat, defeat the enemy and sin that had this oppressive hold over us. Much like the victory over the Midianites, it is complete and 100%. And this victory wins for us many blessings that Christ offers to live a life in abundance with Jesus, who is God with us, it means that we're free to live this transformed life 
and follow Jesus, not under a rules-based system, but under his abounding grace. But we can, like Gideon, take those spoils and misuse them. Do the opposite of what Christ has set us free to do. Um, Peter in the prayer meeting uh, running up to this uh, talked about cheap grace. And essentially we can do this thing where we we take grace as cheap. Um, And this can look like two different things, which tend not to be an either or, but something that we cleverly do at the same time. The first is that we go back and we ensnare ourselves in the sin that we've been set free from. Uh, But when we're saved into God's family, we don't suddenly become robots. We are free, free to live our life. And this allows us to uh, to do anything. But then we cannot live in the freedom that we are now a part of. We can forget who we are and who we are now. We can use the good things of this world that God has given us, and they can become snares to us and stop us being the people that we could be. We can sleepwalk and not realize that we have again become slaves to these things that we are in fact free from. Or we take grace as cheap and we do what we want because we know that Jesus will just forgive us. It's like we take these chains that Jesus has removed on us and we just slowly slip them back on or we gladly put them back on because we know that Jesus will just remove them. But both of these areas miss the thrust of what Jesus came to do. That what Jesus has done for us is transform us, changes who we are now. We stop being sinners and start being children of God. It changes who we are, and so our actions should follow that. We are called to live big lives, but by seeing grace as cheap or living our lives like nothing has happened, we cheapen what Jesus has done on the cross. That was not the purpose of his sacrificial action. It was to win you to him and to live within his grace. So we need to recognize the weight and seriousness of our own sin, but that we are not powerless to face it, that we have Jesus who is a victor who leads us and walks before us. The second is that like the ephod, that was a God-given way um, that the Israelites should worship, that we can treat the things that God has given us to help us worship um, and instead worship them instead of God. This can look like lots of things, but it could be a a legalistic approach to church or to an approach to church. Um, And we can spend so long looking down that we forget to look up and see God and worship him. We can almost try so hard to please God that we're busy over there, but then over here, God is waiting for us. Our care becomes for the things of God over God himself. And this is so easily done. And I think a great starting point for all of us would be in the worship time we have after this talk, um, to praise God and remember why we're here this morning. Um, And then the second trap we face, is and the one that Gideon fell into, is that we may sin without knowing or realising it's bad, or that we're even doing it. There's an interesting wrinkle in this story that by making the ephod, Gideon may not have even realised that he was sinning. In itself, the ephod is not necessarily a bad thing. The passage doesn't say that it is. And he probably had good intentions for making it, but unfortunately it becomes a problem for the people. And eventually, once he's passed away, the people continue the drift and start, working, um, start worshipping Baal again. And this represents the most dangerous trap for us. There are times when we absolutely know what we're doing is wrong, but the dangerous sins are the ones that we don't even realise we're doing, or are good things but are twisted to become unhelpful for us. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, that I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do... I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. It's like when talking about how someone is or discussing a situation, and it just turns to, to being a bad conversation. Um, it's, initially, it's kind of good community, supporting a friend, but because, um, and then it just becomes something else. Um, and we can so easily find ourselves doing this. I was at, last weekend, I was at our group of churches, Young, Young Leaders Weekend, and me and my friend were talking about, um, like, a mutual friend. And after about five minutes, we kind of turned to one another, and we were like, this is a lot like gossip. Um, and it's so easily done. And I'm sure you can see these things everywhere, whether it's a relationship or food or drink, and it has ensnared someone, and they don't even realise it starts as good, but ends as bad. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to work in us, to help us be aware and tackle the sin that we have in our lives. The sin has an effect both on us and on other people. The Kikidian sin had profound consequences. We see later in the passage and in chapter 9 that the son with this concubine kills his other sons, trashes his, his, his legacy, and becomes this villain of a king. And while we are free from the ultimate consequences of our sin, it does have an effect in this world now. It can hurt people, but it also pollutes and changes us. Our actions are not free from consequence, and what we do and act like changes what we're like and who we are, whether that's for good or for bad. But sin leads us away from God. It literally has no place with him. So when we sin, we take ourselves in a way, away from God. And I think it's an easy trap to kid ourselves that our sin isn't a problem because Jesus has set us free. Um, but it needs to be confronted um, and ask for help from believers around you or from a God who is ever ready to forgive. But the source of Kidian's problem is not just what his actions are, but the position of his heart. Because although he rejects this call to be a king, he names one of his sons son of a king. And he worships this idol of, of an ephod he has created. The text doesn't tell us how they worshipped at this ephod, but it was possibly like a war memorial or a statue that you'd have of a hero. Um, probably made to kind of remember the great victory of God, but it becomes twisted um, to worshipping the people. And by doing so, they miss God and stop worshipping him properly and correctly. And as a result, they go far astray. The people in chapter 9 plot and kill one another, murder the sons of their national hero, but worst of all, start worshipping another God. The key part of the first part of Gideon's story is that God gets all the glory, that we need to rely on God and all of his promises. Um, that trust and faithfulness in God's promises is how to follow God. This puts us in the right place as working with God, but knowing our position. When we get this wrong and we keep the glory to ourselves and become self-centered, and, and we change, it changes how we see God and can lead to our destruction. But where we can change the story and live differently is to recognize that the solution is correct reverence for God, understanding of his love, and correct worship as a result. This places us in the right place of submission to God. By replacing ourselves in this correct posture of worship, 
of acknowledging the greatness of God, we can stop focusing on ourselves and our sin and can change the focus back to God. And this is how God works on us. Studies have shown that by being grateful for things actually makes you happier. Um, The Bible had this sorted for us thousands of years ago, that we are happier or more content when we correctly recognize that God is the source of all things and deserves the glory. We therefore need to get closer and deeper in relationship with God and remember that God is full of mercy and grace. This sin will not change how God sees you and he doesn't stand over us and say, I knew you'd mess up again. He instead says, I love you and forgive you. Welcome back. And I want to be really careful um, here because I'm aware I've just spoken a lot about sin um, and the intention is not to condemn, but my prayer is that God will use what I'm saying this morning because sin is not good or beneficial to us. But the key is not to wallow and feel bad, um, but to worship God for the victory that has been won and what that means for us. To seek God where you are, ask for forgiveness, repent, and ask God to walk with you in this, that your life has been transformed. It's so easy when we do something wrong to hide from God. We kind of know what we've done and we take ourselves away. We perhaps stop praying or even meeting with the church. But that is so much the wrong way to go. And instead we need to seek God and repent of what we've done and enjoy the freedom that comes from his forgiveness. We have this but God moment um, that we can't run from God. And when we accept his call on our lives and come into his hands, we cannot separate ourselves from his mercy. Paul in Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then again in Psalm 103.12, the psalmist says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God sees us as different. We have been transformed. Mercy triumphs over justice. And where we do things wrong and we should get justice, but God instead showers us with his mercy and grace and we become his children. His victorious people um, to be his people on earth and bless those around us as those who've been transformed by him. I'm going to welcome the band back up. Um, So we're now going to respond as a church um, and as a people of God who are blessed by mercy and able to move beyond our sin and its consequences because we can give the glory to God who sent his son Jesus to save us. So we're all going to worship now and give God the glory that he deserves. Thank him for his blessings in our lives that our sin will no longer cause us to die, that because Jesus died on the cross, we will now live forever. But for those that want to, there's an opportunity during this worship time to pray for God to forgive. Perhaps while I've been speaking, something has come to mind, or you realise that you've run away from God when you haven't needed to. I'll say it again, no sin is so great that God can't forgive. And God will forgive us if we ask. Your sin may be great, but his love is greater. 
And there are lovely people in blue lanyards, which I think is just me and Will this morning. Um, but mum, and my mum at the front here, because a good person to pray with as well. Um, or maybe there's someone who's more comfortable with who's around. Um, and remember that we have a but God, who despite what we do, is love and is ready for you to come back. Perhaps this is the first time this, this morning that you would like, to, uh, that you'd like to, to do that. And I'll be down at the front um, if you'd like to pray with me, or perhaps again with someone you know. Um, but I would encourage you to take that step, um, because you enter into a life of abundance, and with a father who wants to welcome you into his family. So I'm just going to finish with one final passage from James 4, 4 to 10. And it says... You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up.